Evening, hope you're all doing well. Today we're learning Masechas Gitten Daf Nun Aleph. You're welcome to stay, it's fine, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, we're on the very bottom of Daf Nun Amud Beis, and we are learning a sugya as to when it is that one is allowed to collect from properties that are B'nai Chorin versus when one is allowed to collect from properties that are Nechassim uh, Shubatim. And we saw two shitas to this. One is that it has to be Ksuvin. Once something is written in a contract, then it has enough teeth for the person who's collecting to collect from Nechassim Shubatim, from properties, even properties that have a lien. And if it's not that way, then they can only collect from properties that are B'nai Chorin. And another shita was not that it's written, but that it's Ksuvin, that the amount of money is known. If the amount of money is known, then you can collect from Nechassim Yishubadim. And if the amount of money is not known, then you cannot. So says the Gemari, Bayelahu, on the bottom of Nunamid Beis, the Rebbe Chanina, according to Rebbe Chanina, who we saw just one line ago, who says that the deciding factor as to whether or not you can collect from properties with a lien is when they're Ksuvin. According to him, if it's Ksuvin, Viksuvin Bay, does it need both parameters in order to collect from Nechassim Yishubadim? Does it need to, need to be both a fixed amount and written in the contract? Odilma, top of Nunalaf, Amadalaf, or perhaps ksuvin ve'afalpisha'enan ksuvim, kitsuvin with a kuf, afalpisha'enan kisuvim. They're very similar sounding words, even though their intents are quite different. So do we need two factors? One is that it's a fixed amount, and second is that it's written in the contract. Or no, do we only need it to be a fixed amount, and that alone will be enough of a reason to collect from nechassim meshubadim. So Tashma, we try and answer. The Itmar, second line of Nonalaf Amadalaf, Misha Bonos Uven. Let's say that a man dies and he has left uh, left after him uh, is two daughters and a son. So of course, halachically, the son is the one who gets the uh, the Pishnaim, he gets the he gets the money. But each girl is allowed to get 10% of let's say he leaves over $100,000. So the son gets $100,000, but each daughter can get 10%, which is $10,000 toward the dowry for their marriages. The older daughter, we'll call her Rachel, the older daughter took $10,000 of the $100,000 and used it. And the... Um, the uh, remaining daughter, we'll call her Leah. Leah was about to collect her $10,000, but then the son died. So the son who was holding the 100,000. So let's do the math. The son got 100. Rachel took 10, there's 90 left. And then the son, then the that guy died. The guy who had the 100,000, now 90,000, he dies. Now there's $90,000 left. Does, does daughter number two get the $10,000? Yes or no? So says the Gemara, Amar Rabbi Yochanan, Shnia Vitra. The second daughter loses out on her $10,000. And instead of getting 10,000, which would bring the balance to 80 and then splitting 40-40 with her sister, she just splits now 90 divided by two, which is 45. And the difference would be a difference of $5,000 in her pocket. If she would take the 10% uh, of the dowry money, then she'd be a little bit wealthier. And this is important because we're trying to answer a question about Reb Chanina. Remember our question. When does Reb Chanina say that we're allowed to collect from Nechassim Meshubadim? Is it when it's both written and fixed or even if it's only just a fixed amount? So what does Reb Chanina say over here? There was even a bigger Chiddush. That they're even allowed to collect. A woman is allowed to collect even from Nechassim Meshubadim for Parnasa for their uh, salary to keep them afloat. They ain't motzi in the Mizonos, but they cannot, they cannot collect from those kinds of properties for food. That's ridiculous. You're saying that she can't even get the extra 10%. That's absolutely not true. So there's a machlokas between 
the two shitas here in the Amorai. And says the Gemara, parnasa de mekitz kaitza. Her parnasa is in fact a fixed amount, and michtav loksiva, and it's not written down. The kamotzia, and we see the Reb Chanina says black on white that the parnasa can be collected even though it's nachasim mishubadim, and even though it's not written down, but it is katsuv, it is a fixed amount. So therefore, we see that Reb Chanina is a one uh, a one issue voter. All he needs to know is that it's a fixed amount, and then then you're allowed to collect from nachasim mishubadim. Says the Gemara, that's not true. You cannot prove Reb Chanina from this case. Why not? Because 10 lines down, shiny Parnasa, that really there's a uniqueness to Parnasa in that everybody knows that a woman who is now widowed or whatever the case may be, that she's collecting her Parnasa, everybody knows she collects her Parnasa. And even though you're right, it's not actually written down, but halachically it says if it's written down, and therefore we cannot bring a raya to the shita of Reb Chanina. The Gemara asks, Masiv Rav Huna Bar Manoach, a very unique case. I in Shaman the Rishonim. I'll be brief in the description of the case because reading it on its own won't help. Let's say a woman was married to husband number one and he agreed to fund her for X number of years and then they divorce or he dies. Husband number two agrees to the same thing. So there's kids from one marriage and kids from another marriage. So says the Gemara's fathers, Mesu, all the husbands died, Binosehen, his actual blood daughters, Nizonos Minachasim Binechorin. Those daughters can only collect their monies from properties that don't have a lien on them. But he and the daughter who is a stepdaughter, his wife's daughter, says the Gemara, they, are, they collect, it's a, a bigger chiddish there. Where do they collect from? Why? She's allowed to collect from Nechasim Meshubadim. That's a little bit of a chiddish. And what do we see over here? We see over here that uh, there, it may be katsu, but it's not written, and therefore maybe we have a raya for Reb Chanina. And the Gemara says, no, that's not a raya either. Third of the way down, that really when it came to the stepdaughter, there was a Kenyan that took place. It says the Gemara, I don't understand. Ihachi, if there was such a Kenyan when he got married to this woman that applied to the stepdaughter, so then Ihachi, Banos Nami, why doesn't it apply to his own daughter? Why, why would we distinguish between the two? So says the Gemara, just the Misa, the way it played out is because there was a Kenyan as it related to his stepdaughter, but there wasn't a Kenyan as it related to his actual daughters, and therefore... The daughters can only collect from Nechasim B'nechorin, from properties that don't have a lien. Masha'en Cain, the stepdaughter, is allowed to collect even from properties that do have a lien. So says Gemara, my Pascha, how are we supposed to understand the Salacha? Is it true across the boards that a stepdaughter is treated better than the daughters? It doesn't always work out that way. Says the Gemara, what's the case? Bast ishto dehavoy b'shas kinyin, mehani lo kinyin. The stepdaughter, so let's say a man marries a woman, and when he marries her, he knows that she has a daughter. So if I marry a woman like that, then at the moment that I marry the woman, she already has a daughter. My daughters aren't born yet. So says the Gemara, that Bas Ishto, the daughter of my wife, my stepdaughter, she was there when I got married. Therefore, by her, Mahani Kenyan. Therefore, absolutely, there's a Kenyan that was to be made, and it supports her and not my own daughters. But Bito, the daughters of this man, when I married this woman and her daughter came in tow, Okay, the Maisa, she was there. So the Gemara says that she was there, Bishas Kenyan, but the daughter who was not there, Bishas Kenyan, Lo Mahani, Lo Kenyan, the Gemara says that a Kenyan will not help. Milo Askinon Dahabu Tarvayu, Bishas Kenyan, how can you say that? It's very possible that we're dealing with the case that really both the daughters and the stepdaughters were there at the same time. 
What is the case? Where there was a divorce and he came back to this particular woman that maybe they uh, did have children and the children were growing up and then there was a divorce and then he came back into the family and there was a stepdaughter from her first marriage and the common children to this husband and wife during the second marriage. Ella must be that Bito, that his daughter, that when it comes to his daughter, a man's daughter, no matter what the case is, whether or not there's going to be a a star, it doesn't matter. A father's always obligated to feed his daughter based on a tonight bezdin. So therefore, lo mahani lo kinyan. Thereby, by her, the kinyan doesn't help at all. But bas ishto, a stepdaughter, a stepdaughter doesn't necessarily guarantee food. You need a man to be a good man, uh, a good husband who marries in and says, even though you're my stepdaughter, I'll treat you like my own and I'm going to make it tonight on your behalf. Then mahani lo kinyan. So says the Gemara, I understand your distinction that there is a natural difference between Bito and Basishto, that by your daughter, there's a Tanai Bezdin that guarantees her food, but not by the stepdaughter. So says the Gemara, is it in fact the case that the stepdaughter always is going to have it better than the daughter? It just seems a little uneven. So says the Gemara, you're right. When it comes to the daughter, since the daughter is guaranteed food, guaranteed food by Bezdin, Amar, it's possible that Tzrare Itzvisa, that she grabbed some coins. In other words, a father will always make sure to take care of his bloodline. And he's going to give over a satchel of money to this daughter no matter what. But that will not be happening necessarily to the Bas Ishto. So therefore, you're right that on its face, it appears that there's a difference between Bas Ishto and Bito, that the Bas Ishto, the stepdaughter, is allowed to collect monies, even from the Chassim Shubadim, even from properties with Aline. But the daughter seemingly can only collect from properties that are B'nai Chorin. But the Gemara says that the reason why we really make this distinction is because I will always make sure to take care of my children as parents do. And when they go off on their own, I'm going to give my daughter a, a chunk of change. She can have a, a credit card, a debit card, whatever the case may be. And that is the distinction. Okay, we are halfway down on an Aleph, Amad Aleph. Uh, we have about 20 minutes left until Mayrav, so we're going to have to keep moving. Tashma. We had said on the bottom of the previous page in yesterday's conversation that in a case scenario where I am collecting money from fruits, that those fruits can only be collected from properties that are B'nei Chorin. So says the Gemara, Amara Rav Nasan, when is this true? That the rule of collecting from only properties that are B'nei Chorin, that's only true. If the purchase that I'm making on this field, when I collect on my field, is done at a time that the fruits have not yet grown, that makes perfect sense. Aval, but had it been the case, says the Gemara, that Kodam Shivcho Shel Rishon, the Mekcho Shel Sheni, if when I am going to buy back this field, or really take back the field, collect on this field, but at that point, the, the trees are laden with fruits, then Govam Inachasim Meshubadim, then even the fruits, even that aspect of the purchase can be um, can be taken from Nechasim Meshubadim, even from those properties. Alma says the Gemara, two-thirds of the way down, Mishum Delo Kadimhu, that the only reason why in our Gemara yesterday, when we had said that when a person is collecting payros or collecting property because of payros, that he can only collect from Bnei Choren, that's because at that time there must not have been any fruits. But that's not what we learned yesterday. Yesterday we didn't learn that. Yesterday we were under the strong assumption with no dissenting opinions that when a person is collecting from fruits, collecting properties on behalf of fruits, it has to be from properties that are B'nei Chor and that have no liens. And says the Gemara, you're right, it does appear that there are different shitas, and really, Tanoihi. It's actually a machlok as Tanoim as to whether or not one who has to collect fruits can only collect from properties that are Nechassim B'nei Chorin, or even from properties that are Nechassim Meshubad and the Tanya. The Brisa writes, 
three-fourths of the way down. We had said in our Mishnah on Memches and Medbez at the beginning of the parak, Ein Motzian, uh, you're not allowed to take anything from properties that are Meshubadim, as we'll soon see at the end of the sentence. Ein Motzian La'achilas Peros, or Shvach Karkos, a person cannot collect from Nechasim Meshubadim uh, anything for Peros or Shvach Karkos, the improvements of land, Ule Mazoni Abanos, feeding a wife and daughters, you're not allowed to do that. We want to make sure that when we are taking from properties that are that at least they're documented directly in the contract. And here in this case, this Bryce is explicit. It's different than our Mishnah. Our Mishnah lists these, but without the Svara. And here we see that the reason why in all of these cases, you're not allowed to collect from properties that are is because they're not written down. Hi, What tikkun olam is that? The fact that it's written down or not? The tikkun olam that we're dealing with is that the amounts are not fixed, and if the amounts are not fixed, then you cannot collect from nechasim meshubadim. So, what do we see from here? That the Tanakama holds that the primary feature is ksuvin, and that the Rav holds that the primary feature is kitsuvin in regards to fixed amounts, as we've been learning. And therefore, that is a wonderful summary of our Gemara up until now. That there is, in fact, a machlokas. Tanoim that reflects the Machlokas Amoroim that we saw on the previous page. On the previous page, we had seen the Shita of Ula, who said that the primary concern as to whether or not you can collect from the Chasim Shubadim is whether or not this, this, this is written up in a star. If it's written up in a star, yes, you can collect from the Chasim Shubadim. If not, not. And according to Rabchanina, no, it wasn't about whether or not it's written in a star, but whether or not it's Kitsuvin if it's a fixed amount. If it's a fixed amount, normal amount of money that everyone knows to anticipate, it can be collected from the Chasim Shubadim. And if not, not. And that brings us to the next sugya, which is about 10 lines or so from the bottom of Nun Aleph and Aleph, which is a line that was seemingly very random in our Mishnah at the open of the parak. We're learning parak At the end of that Mishnah, we saw this line, that if a person finds a, a gift, not a gift, if a person finds a lost item, excuse me, then they're not supposed to make a shvua. So the Gemara now presents some challenges to this idea. Our Mishnah seems to be categorical. Yet, Omar of Yitzchak, if a man says, Shnei kisin kshurin matzasli, uh, a man says that uh, I've uh, you, you, I lost these two wallets that were tied to one another. And the finder says, And if I say I'm the finder and you're the one who lost your two satchels of money that are tied together. So in that case, I have to make a shvua in that case. However, in contrast, although very similar, five lines from the bottom, six lines from the bottom, I, I was hoping someone could help me find these two shvarin, these two shores that are lost to me. That's a very odd distinction. Let's say it out outside. If two satchels of money are tied together, together and I said, I only found one, I have to make a shvua. If two cows are tied together and I say, I only found one, I don't have to make a shvua. Why? What's the difference? Well, before we do that, let's just add one more case. Oh, sorry. No, we're going to give the my timer right now. My timer, because shvarin minatche mehadade. When it comes to shvarin, they pull on one another. And if there are strings that are holding them together, they can easily separate from one another. But kisin are inanimate objects. These satchels that hold money are inanimate and therefore lominatche mehadade. So we have to look at the metzias. If you announce in shul, I lost two of my satchels and I say, I found one of them then I have to make a shavuah because those are inanimate objects. They don't pull on one another. But if you say in shul, I can't find my uh, my two cows, and I say I found one of them, there you don't have to make a shavuah because cows don't run away. 
And another case, if a person says that he's lost his two shvarim, I did find them, but if you'll recall, last week I brought back one of them and I just found the second one. Now here you go. We're all even up. Says the Gemara, no, ha-reze nishba. In that case, he has to make a shvua as well. So ask the Gemara, I don't understand. I don't understand. You're telling me that there are times that you have to make a shvua on a lost item. But our Mishnah on Memchesim and Bey says, and look at the two dots, 10 lines from the bottom, the Hamotze Metzia, Lo Yishava. But you you just showed me two cases where you do make a shvua. So asks the Gemara, two lines from the bottom, Rabbi Yitzchak, Lesle, does he not hold of our Mishnah that says, Hamotze Metzia, Lo Yishava, Mibnei Tikkun Ha'olam? You got to make up your mind. You're either a party line or you're not. Our Mishnah was very clear at the beginning of the parak. When you find a lost item, we're never going to make you make a shvua. What's the tikkun olam component? Forget it. I'm not picking up a lost item. I don't want to make a shvua. I don't want to get involved in that. I want to be hopeful. I want to do a mitzvah and return a lost item. Every time I, I pick something up, you're going to make me do a shvua. That's unacceptable. So the tikkun olam was that our Mishnah said you're not allowed. What about Rav Yitzchak? Rav Yitzchak says you have to make a shvua in a whole variety of cases. So says the Gemara that the shita of Rav Yitzchak, who says that sometimes you have to make a shvua, we'll get to the very bottom of the page last word that's our target we have 11 minutes and I really hope to get there so it says the Gemara de Tanya the brights are right <laughs> that there are, are times that a person has to make a shvua even with his own taina what's the case if I say I owe you I really I owe your father a hundred dollars but by the way I ate half of it so hareza nishba, I have to make a shvua. That's modim miksas atayna. V'zehu shenishba al taynas atzmo. That's an example where I say something and it forces me into a taina. That's it forces me into a shvua. That's called taynas atzmo. But the chachamim disagree. The chachamim omrim eno ella kemeshi vaveda upater. No, nothing at all. You're totally fine. It's like meshi vaveda. So on this shita, the Gemara asks also. Rabbi Yitzchak was relying on Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov. So here too, the Gemara says six lines down on Nonalef Amabez. Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov lesle meshi vaveda pater. I don't understand. What about our Mishnah on Memches and Mabez? You should never be making a Shavu on a Shava Saveda. So it says the Gemara, Amara Betoan Okat. And we're talking about a case where I make this claim of Manola Avichabiyari, but I'm talking to a Katan. Says the Gemara, what does that have to do with anything? A Katan, Mide Mishasha, Isbe, the Katan's a zero. It's like you're talking to a wall. He's a kid. He doesn't know anything. Nothing at all. So says the Gemara, you're right, but we're not dealing with a regular katan. My katan, look at this odd language, gadol. <laughs> this katan is a gadol. What do you mean? Why is this katan called a gadol? A gadol is a gadol and a katan is a katan. Says the Gemara, my kar la katan, because I, as it relates, when I was a teenager, same Gemara, the Gemara says over here that uh, when you have a 15-year-old, he might be halachically a gadol, but he has no clue how to run a house. He's a katan who, as it relates to his father's affairs. So says the Gemara, why are you calling that tainas atzmo? That's that's tainas acherim. If, if I'm talking to the to the to the gadol, he's 15 years old. And uh, you're saying he's like a katan, but Lamaisa, I'm making a tiny, but it's about somebody else's, it's about the father's money. So that really should be called Taina Sacherim. Says the Gemara, Taina Sacherim, Vehodas Atzmo. Really, we're talking about where it's a Taina Sacherim. Yes, you're right. It's a claim about other people's money, Vehodas Atzmo, and he's just admitting. And says the Gemara, wait one second. But the whole claim over here, this whole case of our Mishnah of Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov is really not about you. It's about money you owe to other people. Ella says the Gemara, 
Gemara, what are we dealing with? Really, the Brysa at the top of the page is arguing about Rabbah. Now, of course, Rabbah is an Amora and lives well after the times of the Tanaim. He was a third century Amora. So all that means is they were arguing about the same thing. And the Gemara says, the Amar Rabbah halfway down on Nunala from the base. Why is it that we say that when a person admits to half of a claim that there needs to be a Shavua, says the Gemara, we have a general assumption of a person is not going to be totally brazen and say, I owe you nothing. He really wanted to say, I owe you nothing, but he couldn't bring himself to it. He would, love, would have loved to have lied, but our psychology is not that way. When you're standing in front of the guy who gave you the loan, it's very difficult to say in front of that guy that you didn't give me the loan. Really, he owes everything. He owes everything. But the reason why he's not willing to admit everything is because he doesn't have all the cash right now. So he's like, I admit to half of the money you let me. In the back of his mind, he's preparing to pay the rest later. later. Down the road, I'll have the money, but I just don't have it right now. So because he says that this is the svara, that really I owe you everything, but I'm going to half lie and say I only owe you half because I don't have the rest to pay, says the Gemara. In such a case, Rami Shvua Ilave. We, we tell a person, you're going to need to make a shvua because moda b'miksas ataina is a svara in the, in the Torah that we think you're actually only partially telling the truth. Yes, you agree that you owe half, you really owe whole. But because you're tempted to lie because you don't have all the money in hand, we therefore force a shvua on you. That's the Tanakama. Rebel Lazar ben Yaakov Savar Loshna Bo Veloshna Bibno. It doesn't matter who he's talking to, to the father from whom he borrowed the money or his son. This isn't a case of Meshivaveda. So really, we're answering our question from the top of the page. Why did Rebel Lazar ben Yaakov say that? Um, why did Rebel Lazar ben Yaakov say that this person has to make a shvua? After all, it looks like an Aveda. He says it's not a case of Aveda. It's a regular case of a taina from another person. When it comes to the son, he is willing to lie. By virtue of the fact that he didn't, and now he's saying that he owns, he has to pay up even half, then it's Meshiv Aveda, because he's giving back. It must be that he's telling the truth. And we don't need a shvua in this case. And therefore, he has to uh, treat it like a Meshiv Aved and there's no Shavu at all. So the Lamdus behind Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov and the, and the, and the Chachamim and the Brisa at the top is whether or not we view the case of that Brisa of Manala Avich Biyadi as a case of Meshiv Aveda, which is the sheet of the Chachamim, which is why there's no Shavu, or the case of Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov who says this isn't Meshiv Aveda. This is a case of Modem and Miksa That's not Meshiv Aveda and therefore the Shavu that we have to make is not because of that. Therefore the Gemara concludes that Rebbe Lazar ben Yaakov is not of the opinion that we uh, we are allowed to make a shvua against Meshiva Veda. That's not true. He's, he would hold like our Mishnah. You absolutely have to make a, a shvua in the case of Meshiva Veda. This just isn't that case. This is a case of Modib and Miksasatayna, and that's why you'll make a shvua. We'll stop right here. At some point tomorrow, I'll record Daphne and Bez Medalef. Emir Tzashem, my recording will end at the two dots, seven lines or so from the bottom of the page. And then on Shabbos, we'll pick up from there. Wishing you all a beautiful night.